Systematic. Systematic. Recorded in Humble Park, Chicago. Systematic podcast. Hosted by Twin Sisters. It's a magic podcast. Alexis and Samantha. Samantha. Just in case your friends have systematic podcast. Hey, it's Systematic, the show about politics, pop culture, and, and sisterhood. sisterhood. We're your co-hosts. I'm Sam. And I'm Alexis. And uh, welcome to this episode. This is actually the last episode of season one. We're wrapping things up. We're just excited to yeah close out the first season and gear up, get some resources together and be start fresh with season two. Yeah, we have a ton of really cool new visual content content coming that I'm really excited about. Um, and we have a list of awesome new guests really looking forward to, and we're even working on, uh, some possible live events coming up, um, maybe some type of live recordings or open discussions, some type of event that's more interactive, um, that we can hopefully include your voices. Right. We're also thinking maybe of incorporating some more video content, so we'll see how that goes. Right. We are looking to launch season two at the end of March. So we'll definitely keep you posted about when that is coming out. But for now, it's February. And of course, that means that it's Black History Month, which is something that is is really really important to us. Um, So that's why we kind of wanted to do things a little bit differently for this episode. Instead of having just one guest come on and doing a traditional interview, we wanted to make sure that we devoted a significant portion of this episode to highlighting the voices and experiences of black women in Chicago. So that's what we're going to do. We we were accepting submissions, voice memo submissions um, from black women to give them an opportunity to answer some reflective questions around Black History Month and black identity um, and allyship. So we're excited to share the responses that we got. And we're going to get to that in the second part of this episode. But first, we're just going to get some current events out of the way. Alexis, can we start with politics? Sure. So I think in our last episode, we left off talking about the impeachment trial, which was just about to start in the Senate. Uh-huh. Um, and we predicted pretty much what happened. I mean, the impeachment trial is over now. Um, and clearly, we still got this goofy in office. Right. So we predicted that it was going to be really hard for the Republican majority in the Senate to actually vote Trump, um, vote for his removal from office. And um, yeah, that's basically how it played out. They called no witnesses, didn't look at evidence, um, tried to end the trial as quickly as possible. Um, and yeah, every Republican pretty. voted in line with Trump, except, except for Mitt for Romney, which yeah. is pretty interesting. But on the bright side, this is a presidential election year, um, so the country does have another opportunity um, to stand up and make a change, which is exciting to some extent, but it's it's going to be a difficult battle. Yeah, the Democratic race is uh, contentious. Um But yeah, the primary is in full swing. So far, we've had three election contests in New Hampshire, Nevada, and Iowa. Mm -hmm. Uh, Unless you've been living under a rock, you know Bernie Sanders has won every single election contest so far. Some people Uh, not paying attention, I think. 
some people maybe aren't, and the news media actually doesn't really like Bernie Sanders, so they're trying to downplay his success, but he's the clear front runner in the Democratic race right now, um, which I think says something about the power of young people um, in this country and also uh, the power of building a coalition among black and brown communities, which is what, what Bernie and his campaign are doing. Yeah, he actually has a lot of really um, progressive policies that do center Latinos, um, immigrant rights, uh, criminal justice reform. I mean, yeah, I'll, he has a lot of really great policies, in my opinion. Um, but he wrote wrote the bill with Elizabeth Warren um, for Puerto Rico that we were in D.C. advocating for. Um, I had actually had a meeting in, in his office. Bernie yeah, office. in Bernie Sanders' office. I actually came out in one of his campaign videos, if you didn't catch that. Yeah, we should repost that video that you're in <laughs> yeah. on the page. You know, and some people think that his policies are too good like or too radical or whatever or like they're like yeah i think i mean there's a lot of valid critiques about him and some of his policies or some of the things he says and maybe we can dig deeper into that in another episode but basically if you're someone who cares about progressive issues if you mm-hmm. care about people and working class people having access to health care uh-huh. uh, affordable health care um, having access to education like ending mass incarceration or the green new deal climate change right um, yeah if you care about these issues i mean he's pretty much the best candidate that we have available i mean i know i have some friends that a lot of friends that are thinking about voting for elizabeth warren i even have a couple friends who are want to vote for Pete Buttigieg, which I'm not a fan of. But I think at this point, it's just hard to deny the strength and momentum behind Bernie's campaign. Uh, the, he refers to this movement that he's building being a movement fueled by a multiracial, multigenerational, diverse coalition of working class people. And I think that's really evident. We're seeing that in the results uh, from these first few states that are conducting their primaries. So... It doesn't look like any of the other Democratic candidates are going to be catching up to his lead anytime soon, but we'll see how things go, especially with Super Tuesday coming up, March 13th, Chicago, we're going to be voting that day, as well as a bunch of other states, so... Uh, It should be really interesting to see the results. And with that being said, you can take this as an official endorsement, systematic for Bernie Sanders. Let's get it. Okay, so Sam, I know you want to talk about a pretty big story that broke earlier this week related to pop culture and women's issues, right? Yes. So earlier this week, Harvey Weinstein was found guilty. He was convicted on two charges related to sexual assault and rape. And and this is huge. This is a really big development. This is, you know, a win for so many people. Uh, so often we see these rich, wealthy white men um, abusing their power and their positions and never being held accountable for it. So this is a really great start, but I think it's important to acknowledge how much more progress and how much more work there is to do um, in this topic. Right. When I was watching the trial, um, the convictions, be reported i was thinking you know i of course can't help but feel happy that you know this uh that he's being held accountable and that he's convicted of these very serious charges hopefully he gets real jail time uh but i also was thinking like i feel like it it presents like a false 
reality to a certain extent. Like, I think people watch these things happening on TV and they think, like, oh, Me Too movement is, like, fixing, like, sexual assault. Like, there's progress being made. Y'all need to... And it's like, okay, you know, it's making some progress, but, like, how does it help the everyday woman and girl, especially black women, um, brown women, undocumented women, indigenous women, Mm -hmm. um, who are often in much more vulnerable positions, who often don't have the resources or support networks Mm -hmm. needed to move forward with prosecution, to hire right. lawyers, to gather evidence and do all of these to things. Even go to a police de- department um, and report this, like, being a woman from a marginalized community can be really intimidating and, and re-traumatizing, especially because so often, so often we hear horror stories of women going to the police and the first thing them being asked is things like, well, what were you wearing? What mm-hmm. were you drinking? Right. And the, I mean, the statistics are just um, horrible. I, I believe it's uh, less than 1% of rape um, crimes results in convictions. Yes. L- yeah, less than 1% um, of rapes lead to felony convictions. So that is just such a tiny, tiny percentage. And people, that's what I think people need to realize. Like, yes, this is being brought to the light. But, like, we have so much more progress to go in terms of actually bringing healing and justice to women. Uh, I actually just recently read uh, a book. It's called Know My Name by Chanel Miller. And I just wanted to um, recommend that. Um, She is a survivor. She's the survivor from the Brock Turner case. And if anyone is curious what it's like for a survivor to go through uh, this process to, you know, fight uh, her case in court and also the toll that it has on survivors' families and the ripple effect in, in their community. What it's like to be ripped down in the media. Yeah. And to see your attacker being praised and mm-hmm. his crime being minimized. Yes. Um, it's a really... Um, it's i mean it's it's difficult but it's written really well and it's inspiring to see how she overcomes those obstacles too um i listened to the audiobook and i just wanted to really recommend that i think it sheds a lot of light um into the experience of of a survivor and how difficult it can be even when everything uh when you have everything all of your evidence and you have witnesses it's still so difficult And that being said, it can help us realize how hard it is for women who don't have those things. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's my um, book recommendation of the week. And um, hopefully Harvey Weinstein gets a long ass sentence. Because honestly, fuck him and any other violent ass rapist or predator out here walking around unaccountable it's 2020 time is up we are getting organized we're stepping into the light we're believing each other we're not giving up and we're not stepping down and that's all i have to say about that Okay, so now that current events are out of the way, we want to take the time 
to focus on our Black History Month spotlight for this episode. And we want to start off by just saying thank you so much to all the women who are participating in the spotlight. Yeah, we have a handful of women who we really admire um, and we're super grateful that they took the time out of their day to share their opinions and experiences with us. So if you've been following the podcast, you know that a big part of our mission is to focus on issues through the perspective of women of color. And as two non-black women of color ourselves, we know that while women of color do share a lot of similar experiences, um, when you're from different backgrounds, you don't share the exact same experiences. And it's important to make sure that you're passing the mic to your sisters to talk about their lived experiences. Right, and not just during Black History Month, of course. Um, these are things that we should all be doing year-round, and it's something that Alexis and I have been trying to practice for a while now. We know that the Latinx community doesn't always do the best job at educating themselves and advocating for issues that the Black community face in this country, and so it's important for us with you know this small platform that we have to make sure that we're making time and space to center the voices of people who are most affected by issues like racism and institutional racism in this country. The names of the women that you're going to be hearing from in this spotlight are Takara, Brandy, Moji, Kia, and Shantae. We're going to tag them on our Instagram if you're interested in learning more about them or what they do. Uh, They're all super talented and badass, so I would definitely check them out. So the way that we formatted the spotlight is we sent all of the featured participants this basically a flyer, and the flyer had three reflection questions on it, and each of the guests could choose to either respond to just one question or more than one question. And the first question that we're going to get into is, can you share a time in your life when you felt especially proud to be a black woman? Growing up, I lived in a really small, mostly white town. And when I moved to Chicago, I learned what it was to be black, what it meant to be black, and what it was like to be around other black people. And so for me, I now every day feel exceptionally proud to be a black woman because of the history and the adversity that people of color and black women have fought through. Obama was elected into office was a time I vividly remember being so proud to be black, regardless of whatever he did during the term. I think it was just so amazing to see um, a person of color in this high position in the world. And it gave me hope, it made me feel important as a black person, and helped me, honestly, walk with my head a little higher every day. You know, I'm really proud to be a black woman every day. And it's like, you know, even in the face of discrimination, I'm still proud to be a black woman because being black means that I have the strength to deal with all of it and, like, not let my crown slip. So... I would say that happened for me recently during Black History Month um, when I had the opportunity to work with Jordan Brand to celebrate their new collection um, that's basically for us women. Um, It was the first time that they released a full collection um, specifically for women that was size inclusive for everybody. 
and it was just super cool to like be able to inspire my little cousins and you know show them that everything is possible when you work hard and you put your best foot forward every single day you totally can do it um do not give up on your dreams because i didn't give up on mine you don't have to take the route that's given to you you can definitely create your own narrative and I think that's extremely important to share and I just want to keep inspiring the youth and those little black girls that are from the west side of Chicago. At one point in time in life I used to actually work at a performing arts academy for young kids and I used to train young kids how to model, how to act, how to speak up and be proud of themselves and it felt especially good to be a black woman because when I would see young girls that were black or of color come in, they would be so shocked and surprised to see me. And they felt so good when they saw me. And they really felt like they could relate to me. And to see me in that industry, where it's mainly white dominated, um, I was very, very happy to be a representation of a person that looks similar to them, that may have come from somewhere similar to them, from different backgrounds and stuff like that, because a stereotypical model it looks a certain way, has a certain skin color, a certain hair, and I will always wear hair wraps and stuff. Um, and it was really, really nice. A lot of the kids, after they were graduate, a lot of the black girls would come up to me and bring their parents to meet me just because they said that I was their favorite and they could really relate and how I helped them to find their voice and their confidence and being exactly who they are and knowing that they were great people just as they are. Our second question asks, what can non-black women of color be doing better as allies? I think just, you know, acknowledge and respect our similarities as well as our differences. Like, yes, we are all women and we share common bonds and experiences, but, you know, we're also unique to our own history and culture. So, you know, being aware and mindful of our unique challenges, which have shaped our lineage and our families and still affecting us today, you know, we're still fighting through it. So just acknowledging that, you know, and I can kind of say the same thing about other races, like we all have had our own path and just respecting and acknowledging, you know, our past and our, our struggles and our challenges and our history. I definitely can't speak for all women of color, but non-black women, a lot of times, you know, to that person in your life, you could just directly ask them what they feel. How could they support you better? Um, I know a lot of women of color don't really care about the whole taking black hairstyles thing, but for me, I think you shouldn't take from a culture that you're not also giving back to. So if you're not supporting black people and black culture, then you shouldn't be taking from it, using it, trending or fetishizing the looks and things that come naturally to those kinds of people. So although it's just a hairstyle, to me, I feel like you shouldn't wear it and you shouldn't appropriate it unless you are actually giving back to that community and unless you care about that community more than just for what the cool parts of it or the things you think our trends are. I think non-blacks can, for one, be better at being more inclusive when it comes to the creative and general work environments. 
Um, secondly, respecting our separate tribulations and outwardly showing appreciation in instances where inspiration is pulled directly from black people. Um, research or simply just talk to us about some of the ways we have been hurt as a people and choose to actively stay conscious on how your decisions affect us if and when it relates to black people. I think opening up conversations with their own communities when they show ignorance towards black people um, is also important and just speaking highly of us to their community in hopes of spreading positive talk about a group of people who have been immensely degraded. Sometimes you don't have to comment on everything. There's no need for you to give your opinion about our hair, our makeup, our clothing, our life choices. Like a lot of comments can be left unsaid, honestly. And not feel like they have to give their stamp of approval. Because if you're not a black woman or a woman of color, your opinion is not the standard. Your opinion is just that it's your opinion. And a lot of times it's better left unsaid. And our third and final reflection question reads, what does the ideal future look like for black women and girls in Chicago? An ideal future for me as a woman of color and a black woman is one where our diversity is celebrated. I think it's really important to acknowledge our different cultures and our backgrounds and our history. And I also would love to see a future where a lot of people that were a part of the oppressive culture and that are unintentionally still a part of it just by being white or a non-person of color, I would love for those people to just one day really acknowledge and admit the bullshit that they that our country and our ancestors have put so many different types of people through. I think it's really important to acknowledge these things rather to rather than ignoring them. And so a future that I would love to be in would be one where those things have been acknowledged. There's been attempts to make amends, like reparations of sorts, and one where everyone who says they don't see color shuts the fuck up and actually sees color because color is beautiful. Right now in Chicago, everything has been really, really great for women of color, especially right now because there are so many opportunities with all these different major brands like Nike, Adidas, Reebok. Um, there are a lot of opportunities right now for black women. It seems like they're going to the direct source of a lot of the trends and the culture things and getting giving all these people credit that they deserve. And it's a very great time, very promising time. And I feel like all the people that they're pursuing to create do these creative projects with and these lookbooks and things and bring this new fashion, I think they're really setting the tone, which will create a lot more opportunities for young women of color, older women of color, just women in general. I see a lot of women taking on a lot of roles. Um, she's a designer. She just did a shoe with Nike, um, which was amazing. Dez did a shoe with Adidas, and it's Chicago Girls Do It Better. And that message speaks so highly, it speaks volume. And I think it's really bringing the attention to Chicago women. Even like Jamila, she is a black woman from Chicago. She has a great message, a very educated message, a very positive message. And I think they're setting the pace and the tone for the future that all these people to come to Chicago women for everything in life. 
the future for women everywhere is getting brighter and brighter in my opinion so in chicago with black women ideally the bigger picture will prevail hopefully that's what i want to see i think it looks like you know an expanding community of creatives and mentors working together not just like on an influencer level like an influencer style approach but something more real which would involve maybe starting with the youth you know giving them the game for an expansion of what already is ideally it wouldn't be about hey look what i'm doing it'd be more like you know you can do it too that's what i'm hoping the future is for black women in chicago to me, the future for black women looks like an array of opportunities created by us and for us. A future where black women are respected, included, and protected. I see us being acknowledged for our efforts and the things we naturally bring to the table. I see black women being in love, wealthy, and dominating lanes that were never made for us. Instead of providing any extra commentary or analysis right now before we sign off, we're going to just let all of these women's words speak for themselves. A big thank you again to Brandy, Takara, Moji, Kia, and Shantae for sharing. We hope that everyone who listens to this episode has the opportunity to take your words to heart. We know that we personally gain so much by listening to the women in our lives. So with that being said, this has been a Black History Month Spotlight by Systematic. Systematic.